Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. And Denver Rubber Company is an essential business that has filled out many needs for several different industries, whether it be medical, military defense, government, wind energy, and even food and beverage during these quarantine times. They've been around since 1972 and are the best around at what they do, not just here in Denver, but basically nationwide. They're family-owned and operated, just like us here at DNVR, and are diehard sports fans as well. Well, they're known for cutting and supplying rubber snowplow blades specifically, but they also will cut rubber foam gaskets, hose assemblies, pretty much anything else made out of rubber, and even metal parts as well. With their industry knowledge and their precise manufacturing capabilities, they're committed to supporting your needs, especially during these uncertain times. If you have any project you're working on, you can give them a call at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche podcast, presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits, my favorite place to grab my Breck brew from, whether it be pickup curbside from either of their two locations or delivery. They have a ton of great deals when you sign up for their app as well. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hafley. Today on the docket... We talked about Colin Wilson and how he seems to be on the way out of this organization yesterday. We touched a bit on the future of Tyson Jost, and we both pretty much agreed. Give him that one-year deal, another chance to prove that he can find his role on this Avalanche team. But the question is, how much faith, AJ, do you have in Tyson Jost in finding that next level? What's the next level? I mean, I'll, I'll I'll tell you right now. I think if he gets forty points, I don't see him going much higher than that in in his career. To be honest. Okay, I just want to make sure that we have some parameters here that we can agree upon uh, right away. Sure, because <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He does not look like, even with the flashes of when he's playing his best game. Sixty points seems like a reach for him. Good middle six player feels like as good as it'll get, right? Yep, for sure. Okay. So, <clears throat> what what will it take to get him there? That is the question. Um, Big thing is ice time. It, it certainly, um, you know, more opportunities in on that second line, especially. I think, but. As we'll get into through the, through this podcast, the question is how much opportunity can the Avs get him there and how much can he earn of that type of t- ice time? Because as it stands, up until the last handful of games of the season, Jost really had not earned a ton. 
Well, I don't know. This is where I don't, I don't know how I feel. Oh boy. Because I spend a lot of time looking at underlying numbers comparatively to teammates around the league, et cetera. How do they look, right? And I tell you, man, Tyson Jost's underlying numbers are just strong. Not like, hey, these aren't bad. Like, they're they're strong. I mean, strong underlying numbers is, is great. It's it's something that I, I always point to when Jost has good games. But at the end of the day, strong underlying numbers, if they don't translate to production or effective on-ice play, it just doesn't matter, does it? You've got to score to be in to stay in the NHL. Yep. You just do. Like it just it has to happen. You have to score points to stay in the league. And I think that's where this conversation kind of splits people into a bunch of different directions. Is that how important is that? How how much are you valuing just raw production. You're just looking at it. And you're saying, okay, in the month of January, Tyson Jost had two assists in nine games played. That's not good enough. And that's the end of the conversation for you. Uh, so there's, I think there's more to it than strictly production, but you know, if you look at the player that was Tyson Jost before the trade deadline and I understand there are a lot of factors going into that the production just was not enough and this is where it comes down to what do you believe those factors are how much do you believe the factors of okay well the Avs struggled to give him a consistent role in that time okay well there was the pressure of the trade deadline itself and him his name being one of the names thrown out there as possibly being on the move all right, he's still a relatively young kid trying to find his place in the NHL. They try to put him at center. They try to put him at wing. There's a lot of things that make that tough, but at the same time, you have players that are getting moved around the lineup like a Comfort or a Donskoy, and I'm not going to say they excelled at the positions, but they have been more adaptable. So how... How important, I guess, is finding some security, finding some consistency for a player like Tyson Jost? How much will that help him in a coming season with the Avalanche? I'm... Oh, man. This is hard. It is. It's being a a GM who has to make these type of decisions in the NHL is not an easy job. It's <clears throat> if Colorado was bad, I don't think this is a tough conversation. Sure, if if a team is bad, they have all the time in the world to give players like that opportunity. Right. But the reality is, the Avs are not only not bad; they're at worst borderline cup contenders and. They have wave after wave of prospects that are stepping up, coming quickly. Martin Kaut, followed by Shane Bowers, not too further down the line, Alex Newhook. Let alone the potential for tying up other spots in the lineup by 
going out and, and trying to target, they've targeted Panarin and Taylor Hall in recent history. Yeah. Yeah, and like those are like elite guys where, you know. They're guys you make room for, of course. Yeah, but... you're not letting Tyson Jost or JT Comfer, Jonas Donskoy, like. Those guys, you're not letting those guys dissuade you from that. You're not even letting Andre Burakovsky talk you on out of those conversations. If you think you can fit that guy into your salary cap, you do it. Yeah, every single time. There's like you just do it, man. You just you go and you get elite players. That's easy. <clears throat> but it's it's the development of these guys. What? How do you do it? What's the best way? And with Jost, it just you know he was good in the postseason last year too. He was. So that gave us hope coming into this year. And then this year it started off, you know, okay. He had that random, what is this hat trick against Tampa Bay in, I think, November. And it was like, oh, well, it was October. It was even in yep. the, the first month of the season. It was in October. Is this finally Joe's breakout? Right, where you're feeling good. How much of this conversation are we also having just because he went the entire months of December and January without scoring a single goal? Right. It it was like if you skipped in just four goals in those two months, two in each month, are we are we even having this conversation? I doubt it. I think it was over 70 straight days that Joe went without scoring a goal. And yeah, it was it was thirty some odd games, and so. that's just too many. It's just too many. And and even <clears throat> even if you look at his season totals, he has eight goals on the season. Five of them came in two games. Right. You take away so the hat trick Tampa, goal, and he's got five against, goals. Yeah. Two against Carolina in the one game. So so it's not a ton. Right. Like then you're talking about two games, five goals, yay. 65 games, three goals. Not as yay. yay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah it, it's tough. It, being able to... I Honestly, I think that's a really good showing of Tyson Jost. The flashes are there. He can have a three-goal game. Mm-hmm. But a three-goal game every 20th game does not mean a ton to a hockey team. Mm-hmm. If you're helping them on the ice really only win four games a year, that's not great. And and granted, his underlying metrics do imply, you know, he's helping the abs in other ways outside of scoring every single night, mostly. But mm-hmm. the scoring consistency, and yes, I understand he has, what, like 20... Not 15 assists or something like that. Um, yeah. So. Eight goals and 15 assists. So he's he's an NHL player. I, I Both of us have agreed on this in the past. He deserves to be in the NHL and on a less stacked team with more opportunity, they'd probably be able to use him more. But he has yet to show that consistency with the Avs. <clears throat> true so the consistency remains really the problem yep um because if you just smooth it out and i guess you could say this for a lot of guys too absolutely 
because you know again and i've i've made this point a few times if we talk about a guy like Val Nachushkin who we just didn't have expectations for coming into the season you know our expectations meant that what basically whatever that he gave was great right sure and you're happy that you got that and it's like hey okay well now moving forward you want to see what he can do you know if he can do it again but he's also it, he also has very encouraging underlying metrics not just hey like here's some here are some good things but there's also the underlying numbers that really drive home like hey this is an effective NHL player I think the same thing is true of Tyson Jost. It's just that we don't give him the same kind of credit. Indeed. And we can jump into that conversation about expectations in the second period as it's time for the first intermission. And I can tell you, certainly, expectations and lack of consistency is something that has led many people to drink. So it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery the official beer of DNVR. Breck needs your help to keep the farmhouse kicking down in Littleton. You can head on down there and get your Breck beer as well as a meal for pickup curbside and use code DNVR to get $5 off your meal when you go. Give them a call at 303-803-1380 to schedule your pickup from noon to 8 p.m. It's a great deal and they will bring it right out to your car for you. Super easy. You can get your 15-can sampler pack, whether it be Avalanche Amber, the Colorado Core, Vanilla Porter Jr., you name it, they have you covered. Or if you can't get out there, you can always use an app like Drizzly to get it delivered. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits with Ruto and AJ. So, the time has come. We've had this conversation before. I have zero doubt we will have it again. But once you're in the NHL... Does it matter where you were picked in the draft, AJ? No, it doesn't. And I get tired of hearing about it. Um, it's it's not a selling point for somebody, and it's not a detractor for somebody else. Yep. You know, the fact that Matt Calvert, you know, when what round was Matt Calvert picked in? The fifth, I think. I'm fifth, I'm fifth? Pr- pretty sure, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the fifth, too, but you don't care. Right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> You're not having that conversation. It doesn't matter. You're hundreds of games into a career. Nikita Zadorov, probably a better example than Matt Calvert. Do we care that he was a first-round pick? Nope. He's a third-pairing defenseman. We don't care. Well, and it's great that you bring up Zadorov, too, because I think this is another example of... And you mentioned Nachushkin in the first period. How incredibly much more leeway these players get when they move on to their second team. The team that didn't draft them. Because there is no stigma of, oh, this player was drafted by us to be a first-round draft pick. And when they move on, Eric Johnson, another great example, a first overall pick who came to Colorado and found success because Colorado basically told him, look, we didn't draft you first overall. We don't have those expectations from you. So just go out there and be the player that you are. I I don't think they get extra. I think it's the opposite, man. I think they get less leeway in their second stops. It's it's like different. You're pointing, you, you're pointing out like some of these guys. I mean, look at like a Brandon Gormley. Look at um, uh, the 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 big one that I'm forgetting from Edmonton. Look at Neil Yakupov. Like 
Expectations and leeway are different things, though. Expectations are you need to be you need to live up to your draft position. Leeway right, but is with the, with the drafting team, though. Those expectations lead to leeway. They directly. do. They there's do. A direct, I... There's a direct correlation between. Hey, we took you tenth overall, so we're going to give you the longest. We're we're going to give you three years of a leash versus. You know, we drafted a guy or didn't draft a guy. He's here on a one-year contract making the veteran minimum. He's got 25 games to impress us, to stay in the lineup. Otherwise, we're going to move on. I guess that's a fair point when it comes to Val Nachushkin, maybe. But when you're talking about someone like Eric Johnson, I would say... You know, Eric Johnson was a quality NHL player, regardless of his his draft slot. That's exactly my point. He was never a borderline player, though. Eric Johnson, at no point in his career, faced a crisis of NHL or no. It There was never any... Like, he definitely had the problem of he was drafted first overall. That's, and he definitely had the problem of being drafted over some guys who were going to go to the Hall of Fame and ended up being insanely successful. And that's, that's the point I'm trying to get at here, though, with Tyson Jost, is... We both agree that he is an NHL player. So if he does move on to that second team, if he finds himself in a position where all of a sudden the expectations of being a 10th overall pick are not on him, can he find more success? Because he's not having the Yakupov conversation of, oh, I could be out of the league next season. Right, but he is facing the uh, the prospect of a second franchise. Sure. And when you get to that second franchise, those guys they're they're not as invested in you. The investment is a one year deal, however much money it is. We'll see, and then that's it. So I don't think there's very much leeway for those guys. That they get that second chance is like because they were drafted. Down to Chushkin was drafted 140th overall. Did the Avs sign him over the summer? I imagine. I have not. no. I have no idea. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe they look at the underlying numbers and say, "Hey, these are all the reasons that we like this. Great, we love this. He's a young player. He's got great defensive metrics. We'll take literally anything he gives us on offense because he helps us." He has the potential to help us so much defensively. But because he was a 10th overall pick, I how how many how many times did you and I over the summer have to listen to somebody tell us that? Yep. Oh, well, he was a 10th overall pick, so maybe he just needs a change of scenery and then it'll all click for him and then everything will go super super well and it'll be rainbows and unicorns. And like that happened. Like basically the best case scenario that you would imagine being realistic happened for Nachushkin this year and you're still talking about a guy who had 27 points yeah it, that's the reality of these types of picks sometimes and it's been a while but I actually did the history of the 10th overall pick back when Joe Scott picked I did too it's and bad. it's not it, there are like honestly Jost and Nachushkin's careers are pretty average for a 10th overall pick if you look yeah, at the at, history of it at the time the abs took ranton in 10th it was like the the mark to beat was like cody hodgson well 
I think Dumba was a tenth, but yeah. Who's out of the league now? Right. He, so. Yeah, uh, Dumba was. I I think Brodine was. Oh, was it Brodine? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think Dumba was seventh. Makes sense. Um, yeah, and <clears throat> like regardless, like he was like a good young player at the time who was like, hey, this is like a solid D, and like right, but like extended extended when Ranton was taking, I think I think Hodgson was like the he had the most games played and like the highest number of points of like any of those types of dudes that were still kind of hanging around and then his, his career completely fell apart and then he just yeah off the map. like really high-end picks you'd have to go all the way back to the 70s 70s for like a solid 10th overall pick and then you had Solani it's, and then it's right it's Timu Solani and then a whole bunch of dudes yep for 20 years until Miko so I, I do wonder with that scenario as well with Miko and Jost getting picked back to back how much did that Miko pick end up blowing expectations out of proportion for the Avs fan base? So I, I actually talked about this um, this morning <laughs> um, that I don't remember if it was Drew when Drew was streaming. I had just started streaming. I don't remember. Um, but anyway, I talked about this this morning, actually. So it's funny that we're mentioning this exact part of the conversation, but it was certainly Miko didn't help like Miko's success didn't help because he, he went to the AHL and was co-rookie of the year in the AHL and then jumped straight into a 20 goal season as a rookie. Led that Even team if, in goals. If it, it was terrible, but yes, let right, it. like, like it happened. Like yep. that's a thing that took place. Yep. And there were, there were enough good feels about Miko's rookie season where you were like, okay, this guy's a really good, he's going to be a really good player. For sure. We were talking about him being like a 60-point player and not an 85-point player. But Nathan McKinnon also hadn't happened yet. <laughs> so Miko definitely messed it up a little bit. But also, I think, just Colorado's success high in the first round in general. Yeah. Because they didn't have any really high-profile busts. The highest-profile bust would have been Siemens, and he was always overshadowed. Because the same draft class was Landis Right, year. that was their second first in that draft. Right, and so it was like it, it felt like found money when they had it. It was like, hey, this should turn into a quality NHL player. They botched it; it was not good. And you go back and you look at that draft class, just like with Tyson Jost's. You look at that draft class, and none of the guys really after that are really making you feel like, dang, coulda could have had him, shoulda had him. Like you could you could go down that list. I think the best player from the the 11, 2011 one ended up being JT Miller, and he was taken like sixteenth or seventeenth. So that's not a guy, yeah. not a guy that was real. And they weren't going to take two forwards in a row that year. They yeah. were going to take they were it was going to go forward and D. Uh, yeah, picking eleventh was just real unfortunate because Dougie Hamilton went ninth and Brodine went tenth. So <laughs> right, and then and then all of those guys, it was like Siemens and Alexiak, yeah. Ryan Murphy, Here. Sven Berchi, Alexiak, and then Miller. So a bunch of borderline or you know bottom six type NHLers. Right, and then you look at you look at where Jost was, and it's like, look, we knew that that draft class going in was not going to be the same as 2015. Yep, 2015 is an all time great draft class. Yeah, and we knew that very early on because the early returns from that class started coming in immediately. Right. It was and ridiculous. And then you look at the 
you look at the 16 draft and it's like, okay, so who did the abs not take? Like, I know you're a big Logan Brown fan. But I, I am, but right. He's played 29 like, games and it's been five years, like four exactly. years. But like, like there's still same kind of comfort. Like you could still see something. He could still be something, but give me a, break. but even following that Michael McLeod, 33 NHL games, Jake Bean basically hasn't even broken into the NHL yet. Then right. you have McAvoy, one, which hurts a little bit, but the McAvoy one. But again, like they were not going to take a defenseman, right? If they're taking forward, the next forward off the board was Luke Cunning, right? And he has been exceptionally mediocre with Minnesota. Yeah, if you look like Tyson Jost is in the top fifteen in points production of that draft, and granted, as this will segue us a little bit into a ne- the next segment here, but we can finish this up first. Was he rushed to the NHL? Maybe a little bit, but nonetheless, the production has been in line with other players in his draft class in the first round. Yeah. So. All, all the, the the point being that early returns here are saying, look, this just wasn't a very good class. Right. This wasn't a class where you're getting a lot of difference makers because you look at the guys ahead of him, the guys ahead of him. I mean, obviously, Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine, Pierre-Luc Dubois, studs. Top three Matthew or the Kuchuk, top three, yeah. Matthew Kachuk, stud. But then Jesse Pugliarvi at four. Who has been a no failure idea. in the NHL to this point. Ole Uolevi hasn't even played in the NHL yet. Yep. Clayton Keller is solid. Like, he's a, he's a solid player, but not, not a... Nothing special. If he's, your team's, if he's your team's best player, then they're not going out and getting Taylor Hall kind of thing. Yep. Like, if he's your team's best player and he's, like, special, then you're not in that conversation. Alex Nylander's already on a second franchise, as is Mikhail Sergachev. And both guys, you know, Nylander certainly more borderline than Sergachev. But Sergachev is having an awful lot of Nikita Zadorov type regression situation. (laughs) The guy produces in terms of points and he can score some goals. But taking care of his own end has been a legitimate problem for him. Yep. And you're very iffy there. So it's not even like, oh, just look at the guys right after Tyson Jost and say, oh, who didn't they draft? Even the guys right in front of him are a, a mixed bag of, of swings and misses. Yep. And, and you know, people people love to, to backdraft and, and all of things like that, but it's just not realistic to fall back and say, oh, DeBrincat went in the second round. Sure, but no one was right. taking him in the first round in that draft at the time. DeBrincat's reason, or his success, uh, is a reason why DeBrin- DeBrincat types are getting taken in the first round now. Right. If DeBrincat hadn't been as successful as he was, Cole Caulfield does not get drafted 15th overall last year. Exactly. So, it you have to remember when looking at past draft statistics that those statistics hadn't happened yet at the draft. They, they weren't necessarily ranked that way at the time. Yeah. And yeah, I, I always throw that out there because when you're doing a redraft, you can redraft it based on today, but you cannot knock a team for not drafting that way back then. Right, like it would be like going back and knocking the abs for taking Landeskog second overall because he wasn't the best player from that draft class. Right. Like, would you rather have Landeskog or Kucherov? Landeskog or Shifley? Which one would they be better off with today? It's probably not Landeskog. 
I mean, if you're talking about the one of those player. guys has a heart trophy, so so it's like, but you're not. We don't ever have those types of conversations because it's like, well, Landis Cog is dope. We like him, right? Exactly. We're ha- we're happy with what we have with him, so we don't care about what's better. And then you get a guy like Jost, and it's just like this lightning rod of conversation where it's like, you know, that's a draft class where the best players are going to come from the second round, and you have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I mean Sam Gerrard, forty seventh in that draft right. class. Yep, you might take Sam Gerrard over Charlie McAvoy right now. That's a legitimate conversation. You're certainly taking him over Jost today, but uh, yeah, at this point, you know, this is the time of year where usually many of us are hitting the golf links. Unfortunately, not really capable of doing that until things start opening up again. So instead, you can use WGT Golf as the most popular golf game in the world. It's the official partner of DNVR Gaming as well. So we're super excited about it. We actually have a tournament happening this weekend with the DNVR Clubhouse. So head on over to dnvrgolf.com, sign up, download the game, get in on this tournament, and try and top the leaderboards for the first time this weekend as you can become the champion of the DNVR Tour. WGT Golf is the most realistic free golf game loved by more than 2 million players around the world. I believe that's 20 million. Excuse me. Uh, play WGT Golf from the comfort of your couch or anywhere on the go. And you can play on your computer. You can play on your phone. There's a bunch of different ways to do it. Play pl- closest to the hole, stroke, skins, bunch of awesome courses, famous courses like Pebble Beach, Beth Page Black, St. Andrews, you name it, you can play it on WGT Golf. So again, dnvrgolf.com to download WGT Golf today. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's with Rudo and AJ. So, developmental path and Tyson Jost. He spent one year at North Dakota after being drafted and was brought in to a avalanche team that was terrible and had plenty of room for him. There's no doubt about that, but was he ready? This one's always felt very hindsighty. It has to me as well. Because at the time it was still a conversation. Uh, it was not like with Kale McCarr after his sophomore year where it was like, oh my god, this is slam dunk. Get him, let's do this. Right. But not many players have looked like Kale McCarr coming into the NHL. Right. So. It was, you know, Kale, it, it's... Jost, it's funny because Jost had a much better freshman year than Kale McCarr did. Yes, he did. Um, but did not still did not have that this is a slam dunk certain so that it was the best thing for him here is my comparison many many people have been asking the question and some even calling for Alex Newhook to turn pro after his first year in college mm-hmm. Newhook had 42 points in 34 games this year made an argument for himself Tyson Jost, not quite that effective, but was still over a point per game in his rookie year. 35 points in 33 games, including 16 goals. 
that's they're at the time you're looking at that and you're saying, you know what, this kid might be ready. For the record, had as many goals as his line mate Brock Besser, who uh, jumped to the NHL and did just fine, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Besser should be noted was also in his sophomore year. He was. He did spend two years, but the question there is what was what was best for Tyson Jost? Because the reality of the situation that is often the case with these high NCAA draft picks is you they if you're saying, hey, we'll sign you and come do a year in the AHL, they just won't sign. They'll stay in college and do another year. So to get him to sign, they likely promised him an NHL spot. And again, that Avs team, there was zero reason not to give him an NHL spot. Yeah. So from an organizational standpoint, I definitely don't think he was rushed. I'm sure Jost thought he was ready. And it's, I honestly, it wasn't even really a conversation for me that he was rushed until last year when they sent him to the AHL. And after he came back from that is when he really started to succeed. He did look a lot better after that stint. And I talked to him about it both when he was down there and after he got back. And he just said, you know, it really helped me a lot to get the puck touches. Yeah. Because when you're playing in the NHL and you're a young kid that's developing and you're playing 11 minutes a night. And now that I'm saying this out loud, all I'm thinking about is Andre Burakovsky. Um, <laughs> yep. And how you should sign you're... him to six and a half mil. No. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> When you're when you're a young player and you're playing eleven and a half minutes a night and you're in this limited role and you're just feeling like you're hitting this wall, the big thing is is that you're not touching the puck as often as you've been as you're accustomed to your whole life. Yep, you have been a star player. If you if you remember Jost his draft year, you know he went through a period where he goes out to the BCHL. First year in the BCHL is a point-per-game guy. Second year in the BCHL scores 104 points in 48 games to yep. make himself a first-round a first round candidate. Yep. Absolutely okay. murdered the league. And then, and then he followed that up. Tyson Jost follows that up by going to the U18s, where we always look at junior a players and say how do they fit in because now they're playing with a bunch of chl guys yep and slapped it down too goes goes to that tournament and decimates it just lays waste to that thing 15 points in seven games sets the record by the way yep with that with that performance the 15 points in seven games Sets the record at the U for the scoring at the U18s um, for a Canadian, I believe. And there have been a lot of good players from Canada who have participated in that tournament. Just a few. <laughs> and so it's like, and then goes to the combine, destroys the combine, interviews as well as you will ever hear about a kid interviewing in the combine. And then goes to North Dakota and has a point per game in his first year in college hockey. At a power program next to another top prospect in Besser and then Shane Gersich. 
and and has a solid World Juniors as well that year with four points in seven games. Right. On what was admittedly a bit a bit of a down Canada team. It was, but it Yeah, he absolutely destroyed everything in his draft year plus one, basically. And his yeah. draft year, honestly. But it's I think it's interesting that you brought up specifically uh his combine interview and from what we know already, just his intangibles and his incredible work ethic off the ice of yeah. Those are the makings of a player that figures this type of thing out eventually. Right. And carves out a role. This is a star player in the making. Yeah. And would another year at Nodak helped him? It absolutely would have helped him. We don't know how much. Right. We will never know how much. Yep. I don't... I don't blame the organization for the decision they made, and I don't blame Jost for the decision he made. I just... You can't help but wonder what might have been. For sure. But it's it sucks. It's done. And but... That... I will say, moving forward, I think that you can't say the organization hasn't given him a chance. I agree. They... He's got three full seasons under his belt. The the dude. The, there are guys out there who would kill to get fifty games. He's at over two hundred. Right. The I can't disagree. Joseph has had plenty of opportunity, and you even saw this year. Maybe they kind of finally started to accept what Jost might be as far as a role player by starting to put him on the PK at the end of the year and things like that as well. Uh, the question here, and I think the fear in everyone's mind about potentially moving him was, what if they move him to a second team and he figures it out? What if he becomes a 40-point player for pick a team in the NHL that isn't the Avs? And the question that you have to be able to answer there is, will he ever be that player with the Avs? And I don't know that he will be. Yeah. So, it's it's tough. It's a very tough spot for both the organization and the player where a decision is going to have to be made. I think, at least from my standpoint, give him the one-year deal, and realistically, the 2020-21 season is going to be either Joe breaks out with the Avs and secures a, a third-line middle-six role, or... He's probably looking at moving on, realistically. And none of this... There's a, there's, there's a guy in my mention, literally my Twitter mentions right now. It says, just let him go. Don't sign him to his eels, after his eels. That's, he has value. That's silliness. That's horrific management. Yeah. This isn't... Uh, Nail Yakupov, who the, all you're going to get for him is a fifth round pick. This is a legitimate NHL player that you can, at very least, get something solid for. You're not going to get first round value out of him, maybe, but you can get an asset, especially if you make a bigger package or something with him involved. It's just not 
QOing him is turning something into nothing, is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Completely. Like, it's a total waste. So. And for the, in chat is asking, um, Tyson Jost has averaged 13-31 in his career of ice time. He's had across across two hundred and eight games. So plenty of ice time. Third line minutes. Yeah. There is there is not an argument to be made that he has not gotten an opportunity. For sure. I don't really have any argument against that. Um Yeah. I I guess as we start to wrap up the show here, final thoughts on Tyson Jost. I hope he breaks out, man. Me too. You always you always want to see players succeed. For the most part. But we'll have to wait and see. Unfortunately, AJ and I are not future sight people. We can't see the future. Uh, if we could, I'd imagine we'd either be way better at our jobs or probably getting paid a lot more to do something else seeing the future. Probably both. <laughs> probably both. <laughs> So we would we would definitely we can we could we would definitely be getting paid a lot more and we'd be way better at this. Yeah, I we'd uh, at at very least be making a lot of money in Vegas on the bets. (laughs) Yeah, if we had like the the Biff Tanner, like, yeah, sports almanac. Exactly. So. All right. I guess we can go ahead and wrap up the Tyson Jost show there. Uh, thank you everyone for listening one way or another. For those listening live, we are going to jump in to game one of the 96 Stanley cup final here in just a minute. So stay tuned to the Twitch channel for those listening behind. If you missed it, you can catch game two in the following Monday at 6 PM at Twitch TV slash DNVR underscore sports. Please come out and join us. It's always a good time to watch some old classic abs games together for us. We are out of here. We will be back tomorrow. Uh, We are going to have some guests on. Evan will be on tomorrow back on the pod. It's been a while for him. So if you want to hear Evan's thoughts on the Avs season and, and all of that, be sure to tune in on Thursday other than that, we're out of here. But remember, StravaCraft Coffee is giving away $1,000 gift certificates every single day this week only. It's an amazing deal. They've already given away a couple. So get it on this while you still can. It only runs through May 1st. All you have to do is order some StravaCraft Coffee from their website, which is conveniently StravaCraftCoffee.com. And you can still use that DNVR20 code to get 20% off your entire purchase. So get the coffee you need and you have a chance to basically set yourself up for a long, long time for that Strava Craft coffee. The $1,000 gift cards are good through May of 2025. So even if you don't order that often, they have you covered for as long as you need your coffee. Go out there and get that golden coffee ticket today. DMVR Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo. DMVR Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo. DMVR Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo.